So I'm hanging on to those words. Their life shall become like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I am wondering how all of you are doing coming in here today. Perhaps it was easy for those of you who are here to get out in the snowstorm or just after the snowstorm, or perhaps you had to work hard and hustle to make it here, but you made it here. Uh, I don't know if you caught that word remnant in the scripture, but that is a, a word that is used often uh, during this, this time and this period to describe what's left of the people. And I was thinking that in some ways, you who are here today are a little bit like a remnant. You have showed up in the midst of the holiday. Uh, you seem to be well enough to be here, and the snowstorm didn't deter you. That we are a smaller people here, but showing up nonetheless. We have made it through that busy season where we were moving and moving and moving and then just needing to crash. And here we are at the beginning of a new year. Um, maybe just tired and beat. I'm sure knowing someone who is suffering, whether dealing with COVID or perhaps serving in hospitals. There's a lot that we might be wondering about in this new year. As one friend posted something from John Pavlovitz on Facebook that said, Dear 2022, we are tired. Be kind. Sincerely, humanity. And you know what? We could very easily just replace 2022 with God. And I'm wondering if some of us might relate to this question. Dear God, we are so tired. Be kind. Sincerely, your people. So what do we make of this promise in Jeremiah? that our life shall be like a watered garden, and they shall never languish again. I will turn their mourning into joy, and I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. Before I move forward, I'm realizing being here in Michigan that this image of a watered garden might be a little bit lost on you. Currently, I have a little bit of a pond in my backyard, and there is no shortage of water around here. So if you have not ever lived in the desert, which, you know what, I just want to see. Has anybody here lived in the desert? A few. A few people. Uh, how many more have been in Michigan for much of their life? So in my short time in Michigan, uh, 
there has not been a shortage of water. And right now, this December, it's particularly abundant. So I just want to spend a moment and um, share with you about living in Tucson, Arizona. Um, after my husband and I were married, we moved out there and we spent five years in Tucson. And even though I'm from Texas, and there's a little bit of, um, it's a bit of an arid region, um, it's not quite like being in Tucson, where it is very clearly desert. And you have to be smart living in the desert, and especially in the hot time of year. It's not unheard of to uh, make sure that you carry water in your car um, so that you are never in a position to be in danger. And that, in fact, the desert is and very much can be a dangerous place. I tried to grow some things. I love to grow and plant things. And what I was told, having moved, moved there, and what I needed to do um, to be able to grow things in the desert was actually to dig down two feet and replace the um, soil or dirt that was there with a mixture of half compost. So if you were to imagine to have a big garden, how much work. Uh, we hope to plant some fruit trees, but it never did happen because of imagining how much digging and replacing and purchasing soil we would need to do. It's not easy to grow things in the desert. But one time, there was a woman, I went to go and see her garden. She lived a few blocks, and I went with a community, and she did a number of things. We were particularly going this day um, because she um, did worm composting. So we were going to see her, oh, hundreds of thousands of worms. And that was really exciting. But even more so than that was just to lay eyes on her garden. I'm just thinking, it was not big. I want to say it was from here to the lectern in this space, but I don't think I had ever seen so much food growing in this little space. There were tomatoes and charred plants. I'm sure there must have been kale and onions, and it was all mixed together and tight in this space. She had learned to garden in the desert and to create a lush, productive environment full of food. I was thinking that it is almost to think of a jungle in this small place. So it's seemingly miraculous to see something lush and beautiful in the middle of the desert. And it takes time, attention, labor, years of building soil. And so this is what Jeremiah is telling us about God's promise for us. Our life is to be like this. Beautiful, lush, nourishing. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I can find that promise Hard to believe. And when I think 
about the people of God being uprooted and forcibly removed by an invading empire, it seems pretty hard to think about holding on to the hope of a healed and whole life in the midst of that. Recently, my own family moved from New York um, over a year ago, our first uprooting. And then we moved again after we found our home, which was a new school district, another uprooting. And I can just say that the challenges of being uprooted are real. And I also know that we had nothing of the challenges of the people of God who were totally moved to another country, another land, their whole lives destroyed. So how do we hold on to this hope for God's vision for our future? I couldn't help but to remember uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu, who died a week ago today. My Facebook feed has been filled with testimonies and celebrations of his life. That he was an incredible gift to South Africa and to the whole world. And he spent his life working to end the injustices and cruelties of the apartheid era. And he spoke boldly and courageously against all of the abuses around him. One of the things that he said is that, I am not interested in picking up crumbs of compassion thrown from the table of someone who considers himself my master. I want the full menu of rights. He was absolutely bold and demanding of the full dignity of people in the midst of a reality and regime that was totally denying it. And yet in the midst of that, he also remained committed to speaking with his enemies and seeing their humanity. He refused to fall into despair or resentment, or to be hardened by anger. And that posture, I would just say, is probably so difficult for so many of us. To be so grounded in your own self-love and dignity and the belief that you are a beautiful creature of God, that you are able to stand in the face of someone who is denying it. As I was watching clips of him in this last week, one of them really struck me. And so we know the story of his coming through and being, getting to the other side and the people of South Africa. But even before, in the midst of the cruelty, to proclaim to the people, we will be free, that he put forth a vision a promise with conviction, with belief, that in the midst of what I think so many of us would be absolutely hopeless, 
He proclaimed something that was possible. And this wasn't a maybe or a wishy-washy. It was the conviction that we will be free. And there's a certain resonance with the words of Jeremiah. Our lives will be like a watered garden. That is not how we are living or how we have been living, but it is the way of God's heart, and it is the way that it will be. And I think it's very much through people who hang on to this commitment and work for this commitment that the rest of us can believe and be encouraged in the process. He chaired the Truth and Reconciliation Committee, Commission investigating the crimes of the era. And so he spent years listening and hearing all that had happened, things that none of us would want to imagine. And it's hearing those who were hurt and also those who were perpetrators. When he spoke of the Nobel Peace Prize that he was awarded, he talked about it being a gift to all of the people in South Africa. And that there was a message, don't give up. Don't give up the struggle. There is light at the end of the tunnel. He wrote a book, No Future Without Forgiveness. And I was so struck by the vision and all that he was able to hold in the midst of so much suffering, but to hang on to hope and love. And it just seems like it's so important for us to have these people, prophets who show us the way, who proclaim what is possible when maybe the rest of us can't see it, or we might be despairing. But then it's not just that. If you watch him, he danced and laughed. And it was a beautiful image to see someone still being able to delight in the joy of life, that he was able to hold it all. And so we have this example that in the midst of all that we face right now as humanity, just merely the pandemic, the crisis of our earth and being able to have a livable planet, the wondering about the future of our nation. But in the midst of this, we know that God has a dream for us and a desire that is all good and nourishing. A colleague friend wrote at the turn of the new year, 
I have no idea what 2022 will hold, but I know we've got grief we have only begun to process and work to do that will surely exhaust us as much as it fulfills us. I know we'll, we will feed each other on humor and love and good things to eat. I know we will experience staggering loss upon loss. And still, we will cultivate joy in ourselves and one another. I know we are building or maybe repairing something we won't see completed. But stubbornly still, we are here, adding our stitches, and they are beautiful. May we too go forth, adding our stitches, singing and dancing, and proclaiming God's beautiful world. Amen. <laughs>